Mountain believes every brand should be on TV, regardless of budget or size. That's why their self-serve performance TV platform takes the difficulty and expense out of connected TV advertising. With Performance TV, you get access to tens of thousands of audience segments, so you can always find your target customer. Mountain serves your ads exclusively on premium streaming networks to elevate your brand profile and auto-optimizes your campaigns thousands of times a day to ensure you're always at peak performance. Visit Mountain.com to learn more. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is a longtime friend. Paul and I met. Paul, we'll figure out how long ago it was in the course of our conversation, but it was quite some time ago. Paul Kane is the president of IMG Events and On Location. They are best in class globally in the burgeoning world of experiential and do things on a very, very grand scale. This is a big, big time operation. So we are thrilled to get a chance to catch up, Paul, and to have you here as a guest on Great Minds. So a heartfelt welcome. Well, thank you. It's really a pleasure. And I have to say, you know, we have known each other a very long time. Uh, in a lot of ways, both of us were not gray when we first met. And, and one of us did not have a formal title. Correct. Uh, other than that, we're, and, and I think our first event together that we ever did was at the Friars Club. I think you're right. I think you're right. So we'll, we'll dig into all that. And uh, it's just mostly it's just a joy to see you again and to get a chance to talk to you. Yeah, uh, and thank you for having me really very much. Pleasure. So, Paul, there's so many places to begin with you. Uh, but one of the areas that really pops out is you and uh, your wife, Pam, both do a lot of charitable work. And I know you've been involved in some very high profile charities uh, with the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences. Uh, but there's one in particular that jumped out at me and one that you founded called Griffin Cares. And I'd love to start our conversation by talking about the heart part of Paul Kane and what you and Pam have done to create Griffin Cares. Um, I. I I have to say, I just absolutely love the fact that you're starting off with this. This is often what a lot of people, and especially in the podcasting world, end with are is philanthropy. And I love that you started. It speaks volumes about you as a person and one of the reasons why I cherish our relationship. So thank you for starting with that. Um, I uh, Griffin Cares Foundation is something that my wife Pam and I started many years ago um, as an initiative when our son Griffin died. Uh, our son, we have three children, uh, Samantha, who's 28 years old, and Ryan is 20, um, how old is he now, 25, and then my son Gavin is 23. And they're fantastic, and I can talk about them all day long. Um, 20, uh, our second child, was, his name was Griffin, and he died as an infant uh, unexpectedly. And as you can imagine, when it happened, we had a two-year-old daughter, and I was uh, doing well in my career at the time. Of uh, you know, it was the early parts of my career, but I felt like the world was really ours. And we had this healthy, wonderful son, um, and and who suddenly died un, uh, in a, in an inexplicable way. Um, it was a huge shock to us because it wasn't something we were anticipating by any means, nor should you ever. I mean, but it was just hugely tragic. And when he died. 
Pam and I really spent a lot of time, obviously, uh, healing and soul searching and thinking about bigger meaning and what this all is about and wondering, you know, what, like, how do you move forward, you know, and, and what does life look like? And we searched, we looked to search out different ways to, to find support. But one thing that we pledged on uh, around that time to each other and to everybody in our world was we really felt it was important that if anybody is here on this earth, even for a second, that their life mattered and that their life and anyone's life is really the culmination of the impact they have on others. Because there's, you know, there's there's great poetry and movies and stories written about the fact that we're here for just a fleeting moment. But the impact we leave and the legacies we leave is everything. He didn't live long enough to have his own legacy. At least we didn't anticipate at that time. But we vowed at that point that we would do. We would really uh, stand for that, and and we went forward. First thing we did is we worked with our friends and family, and we built a park in our town. That was our first initiative. But we still felt right away that we didn't have people that understood what it was like to be in our shoes, and there really wasn't any support back then for people like us. Most people just, the advice we got was, you should just move on. You're young. You'll have other children. I'm you know, so sorry, which is awful. And uh, the only place that really understood us was an organization called CJ Foundation for SIDS, which was founded by Joel Hollander, who at the time was the president of WFAN. I, I found, I sought Joel out. He became a very good friend. And he and his wife, Susan, and that organization became our lifeline. And what we learned was the value of peer support. Uh, we worked with CJ Foundation uh, then to create uh, peer support in the spirit and the name of Griffin. Um, a few years later, we did a fundraiser. My friend at the time, Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey headlined a fundraiser to raise money for us. And we had the ability to move that effort to, uh, to our local hospital in Englewood, New Jersey, where we created what became Griffin Cares. And we built that with, with Englewood Hospital to provide peer support and, uh, and education for those that uh, lose a child, whether uh, preterm or postterm. And we found is that there are hundreds of women, hundreds, that come into the emergency room in our local hospital every year uh, with a miscarriage. And there are many women that are faced and families that are faced with terrible choices um, with children that don't uh, make it all the way to term. And then there are those that do have baby uh, healthy or birth, live births and then find that uh, and, and, and have losses like we did. So what we've uh, so we, we've been really embarking that. And I have to say, my wife, Pam. She is the absolute spirit behind it all. She has been for uh, decades now, very focused and determined that every family and every woman will have the level of peer support and the, uh, and the kindness and that, we, that we want. So a couple of weeks ago, actually, we did something pretty remarkable. We took the foundation that we started within the Englewood Hospital system, and we now launched it on its own as its own new 501c3 that is dedicated to providing support for anybody in any community who experiences a loss pre or preterm or post. And we uh, and it's it's going to and it provides peer support. 
it'll provide materials. Um, it's a little on the nascent side, meaning we're just forming it. We have our board set and we're moving forward really rapidly. But again, Pam leading the charge and of course the whole family behind it uh, is making a, is gonna, just setting out to make a difference. And over the course of the 26 years we've been doing it, um, unfortunately, there are countless amount of families that we've provided that support. And it's, a, it's one of those clubs you never want to be belong to. But if you are in, um, it's incredible that a Griffin Cares Foundation is there to provide that level of support. And then the last point I'll, I'll just share with that is uh, while we do have an incredible board of unbelievable people that are in our community of, of lost parents and not in our community because they're just people who simply care, three of those board members are our three children. And uh, Samantha, Ryan, and Gavin are on our board. And I am so proud that our whole, that our family is united in the name in Griffin in, in Griffin in on behalf of Griffin to provide that support for every generation to come. Well, what a fantastic and such a inherently deeply personal story. And I remember the earliest days of FAN and Joel uh, and the work they did in the CJ Foundation for SIDS. And I, I would imagine, and you can comment on this with real intelligence, that back then, as you said, there was very little support. Uh, I would hope, Paul, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, that as with many issues, mental health coming to mind in particular, there weren't resources and things were not talked about. And now here in 2022, I feel like we have turned a corner on people's willingness to talk, willingness to help and more resources. Is that true for sudden infant death syndrome? Uh, it is. Um, for sudden infant death syndrome particularly, which by the way, Griffin didn't have. Um, we, he did not die of sudden infant death. Um, he, he did have a, a medical incident that was unexpected. Okay. However, uh, sudden infant death, I, I, I um, worked with Joel and the CJ Foundation uh, uh, community to partner with Jerry Della Femina to create an ad campaign that uh, encouraged women and families to put their children on their back to sleep. It was called the Back to Sleep Campaign. And that effort reduced the rate of SIDS in half. Um, and we did that through Jerry's wonderful creative work. And then I was working at Time Inc. at the time, and we donated millions of dollars worth of media space, as well as did uh, Westwood One, WFAN, which Joel worked at, CBS, which also Joel was affiliated with, and many other media companies around the, the, the industry. And that campaign on its own actually reduced the rate of SIDS in half. Now, today, fast forward, SIDS is not as uh, prevalent as it was, thank goodness, from all of the communication and education that's been taking place. But you're right that there is now a new dialogue. And I love that. And unfortunately, it takes a lot of high-profile people to create that dialogue. Um, John Legend is a good example because he experienced a loss, um, I guess it was about a year and a half or almost two years ago now. And that brought the conversation to a, a, to a height. And there were other um, very high-profile people that also uh, experienced um, a loss, either preterm or post, and that and are... are very honest about it. Now, in the past, uh, you wouldn't talk about it. 
Um, and that that was the norm, but that is the norm for lots of things. And now I'm loved that we're moving into a world where people are honest and talking about these very hard subjects. Um, but because we're people, it's emotional, it's real, and it affects many people. And the more we can be honest about it and to support each other, the, the better the world becomes. Yeah. That's really what Griffin Cares Foundation is is all about, is to provide that for this community. Incredible story. And that your two youngest children who were born after Griffin are involved, that's got to make you and Pam feel just terrific as parents. It, it really does. And they, um, we, you know, they, they have a very healthy relationship with each other and then also with, uh, with being a sibling of Griffin's. And you know, it's, we talk about it and we, we're spending obviously a fair amount of time on it. And I, again, I really appreciate that. It says so much about you. Um, I, uh, it, you, one could walk away from listening to this to say, that's all they are all about. And that's simply not true. Um, like anybody, any member of a family, they have their place and their large personality and they, uh, and it affects your family dynamic. That's any personality or any person in your family. Griffin's in our family and that place exists and that place is where he sits. And, uh, but my, but all, all three children are doing incredibly well and doing incredible things. And I'm really proud of them. Uh, and be, the fact that they're all successful in their own journey, uh, it's, in, it's really very meaningful to Pam and I that, uh, that they continue to, to have uh, all their siblings in their journey. That's absolutely fantastic story. And I'm glad we started there. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't have wanted to do it any other way with you, Paul. So let's shift gears a little bit and uh, go to what was an incredible run, give or take almost 25 years at one of the great, great companies this country's ever produced. And that was Time Inc. That's where we met so long ago and you rose all the way up the ladder uh i guess your last title was evp and chief revenue officer but you ran the whole uh time inc style and enterprise group entertainment group uh and so many other things but you started there in 1989 as a pretty young guy go back to the beginning and the very start of your tenure at Time Inc. What was that first job? And I assume you walked into that big office building on 6th Avenue, the Time Life building? <laughs> I did. I have to say that was, um, I, I remember that day incredibly well. September 6th, 6th, I'm sorry, September 16th, 1989. I remember walking in and being blown away, uh, looking at the logo and looking at uh, that lobby and realizing the history and the, the, the lore that Time Inc. stood for. I was so proud. It was, uh, it was an ambition I had, and I was 25 years old. It was an ambition I had when I joined the industry um, and wanted to get into sales that why, why not work for the best? And in my opinion at the time, Time Inc. was simply the best. And I uh, had the, the privilege of being a, a very, very junior sales rep at People Magazine. Um, I don't even know why they hired me at the time. Uh, it was it was a very I, I got interviewed in one morning by uh, six different people. Uh, my friend Lynn Rowain, who you know, actually was working at Life Magazine at the time, and she allowed me to write my thank you letters in her office, which I then dropped off in person because I was so anxious to get this role. 
And then they offered me the job that afternoon. It was like in one day, I went from interview one to uh, hired. And uh, I couldn't have been more excited, more proud. When that journey was incredible because uh, I I did spend 24 years there. Um, I did grow up in sales and, you know, having that skill of selling and being part of that process obviously has worked well for me in my whole career. And I draw from it every single day. Uh, But what I learned through that whole journey, uh, I I have huge uh, appreciation for I mean, I, I didn't go, I didn't get an MBA and I don't have a graduate degree, but I feel like 24 years of Time Inc. has taught me an incredible amount that uh, is, it really is the foundation that that has been, I've been carrying forward ever since. It makes me sad that it doesn't exist anymore in its in that form. And uh, and some of, the, some of the brands aren't even part of the same umbrella any longer. Uh, and people don't necessarily, especially younger people, don't necessarily have the appreciation of what we did and how we, what we were accomplishing in print. Um, but I did start there in sales. I had the, the benefit of being of growing, of launching new titles. I was there for the advent of digital. Um, I w- worked through and combined and pivoted the company in many different uh, incarnations, and I got it. And the, and I left literally as they decided they were going to spin it out on its own was the day I decided that my journey there was, was really over. And I left literally the day the, of the spin announcement to take a role uh, as a CEO in another company. Okay, so I, I wanna go back and dig in a little deeper uh, at Time Inc and, and sort of the pathway of the genre in general, which I think has been very challenged. But you and I, I think, are just about exactly the same age. And you've defied the odds, Paul. Uh, One of the things that we both do, I'm sure, is you get calls from a lot of people who need help. And uh, you'll always give somebody who needs some help an audience. And I see a lot of people who are in their 50s, um, who have had jobs in the agency world or the publishing world, and are having a hard time. You have uh, navigated your career brilliantly and had sort of a, let's call it a seventh inning reinvention with what you're doing now as part of the Global Endeavor family leading. And we're gonna get into it, of course, You know what is just an incredible shop at uh, the combined IMG on location outfit that you run. Why do you think, Paul, you were able to make that pivot and do something that not a lot of people have done? You are an incredible question to ask. Um, that was fantastic. Um, so let's break this down. First of all, um, I have been, and I'm having a, a career that I, I love. Um, when I joined People Magazine as a sales rep, it was everything I was at that time. Um, a lot of people actually said to me in 1989, why don't you go to Sports Illustrated at a time where, you know, where, where it's all happening? And I said, no, 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 people. And by the way, in 1989, people was not at its height. It was far from it. And I said, no, that's it. You know why? Because people, it, it spoke to me. It was exactly what I loved. It was real people. It was entertainment. It was celebrity. And I, and I really had uh, an affinity for it. And what I learned from day one was if you really love what you do, uh, it, it becomes really easy. Secondly, is when I was at People, 
my then publisher and more uh, came to me and said, all right, you're the youngest person on staff. How do we get younger people to read people? Because at that time, the median age was going one year every year. This is 1996. My daughter was two. Um, I had ju actually just lost Griffin. And I think she was trying to do me a solid. And, um, and what I went home and I was reading all the potential magazines for teenagers and young, young adults. And my daughter was playing on the ground and I was kind of taken away saying, why? I don't really want her reading these teen magazines. It's all about beauty and fashion and boys. And that's not really what I want for her. And I started writing down what I think a great magazine would be for someone for her. And uh, I brought that concept back and Nora McInniff, who was the publisher of, P uh, the, uh, I guess she was the associate publisher of people at the time, she loved it. And she put together an editorial team who then took a core vision and then actually made it somewhat come to life, but it was terrible because it was a 35 year old guy who wrote this editorial plan and it was not resonating. Now we had a bake-off uh, and said, I'm gonna give money to one idea. And it was between team people, what I was working on and people in Espanol. Uh, and she gave it to people in Espanol. But I said, just give me a shot, you know, from a research standpoint, I think we could do better. And she, we didn't have any more money to, to, to waste on it. So I went to my sister, who was a high school math teacher, and I went out, drove out to her high school. And I said, I talked to about 200 kids. And I said, all right, if we we're going to make a magazine for you, what would it be? And they created Teen People. And then I went back and I wrote into the business plan this concept of trend spotters, which it, it was pre-social media, which is how we would stay connected to, to people, recognizing that nobody who worked in our brand was our reader. Trend spotters was going to keep us cool and current. Um, so then we launched, so then Anne loved it and she gave us a little bit of money to launch it. And ultimately within a few months, we made it a runaway success and she then gave it fully funding and we were self-funded by that point and off to the races. That taught me everything because I poured my passion. I was in creative. I didn't take no for an answer. I, I drove forward. If anybody, I didn't follow the traditional process. And then I, I really just started to break barriers. And I got to work with incredible people, editors that were incredibly inventive. Um, I had a publisher, her name is Annie Zarin, who, was, who brought a level of innovation and timing that they never saw before. Um, I, I, I learned from everybody there as best as I could. And then I started applying it. I had the opportunity to be the publisher of Entertainment Weekly. I had to be the publisher of People. And in each of the incarnations as I went forward, I kept reinventing. So in People, we, we, uh, the editor, her name is Martha Nelson, brilliant editor, brilliant, brilliant editor. She wanted to get closer to celebrity and stop doing what was called write arounds and get more of the real person, the real story behind celebrities. And one of the initiatives that I took on the business side was, well, we can get closer because we can buy photos, right? So we can set up and buy celebrity photos. And that was something we worked in partnership with the editors on. And then we would monetize that by selling those special photo packages to advertisers in order to offset costs. So we'd buy like Angelina Jolie baby photos or wedding photos. And it, it, it really put people on the map. Secondly was um, I went and forged relationships with award shows. Um, we had a legacy award show relationship with the Screen Actors Guild. We also had one through InStyle at the Golden Globes. 
but we didn't have anything at the with the uh, recording Academy, the, the um, Academy of Arts and Sciences, which is which is the Emmys, um, or uh, AMPAS, which is the Academy Awards, or the country foundations, or any of them. So I went out and forged relationships with all of them to, to try to get official status and then build packages with that. Um, the Grammys was the first one to provide that to us. And then we ended up having them all almost except for the uh, except for the Oscars. However, for the Oscars, they allowed us to populate their fan, um, uh, the fan portion of the red carpet, and also get our consumers to be part of the, you know, to part of the whole Oscar pre-celebration. We were the only ones who had access to that. All of that gave us better access to celebrities and better packages that we ultimately monetized with advertisers and did that, you know, collectively. Um, again, innovation, innovation, innovation. When we were moving into digital. We moved all of our brands digitally, um, not fast enough, mind you. A lot of it was really stalled by the AOL merger, but as fast as we could. And we tried very hard to even launch when Apple launched the iPad, we launched Time Magazine on the iPad. You know, And I remember going to the launch event because we worked really hard to be one of the first three products on the iPad. And, and it was so exciting to be part of um, hardware innovation with while we were trying to innovate software. Uh, from us and and bring advertisers along. All of that gave me uh, a lot of um, insight that I continue to draw from. Is don't look at a problem the way it's looked at before. Bring a level of innovation, creativity, and also a little bit of yourself, your own interests. Um, what makes it exciting for you, and how does it work? And bring that to bear. That's what I did in every aspect of what I did across the 24 years I worked at Time Inc. It's also what I applied since. Now. You say about my career. I will tell you that after Time Inc., I went to Westwood One. It was my first time working outside of the company in 24 years. It was a private equity-owned company that um, ultimately we sold it very quickly. I was in and out of that job in nine months because of the sale. And uh, it, it did teach me a lot about M&A, which I wasn't uh, as intimately involved with in Time Inc., but it also taught me a lot about um you know, a bigger world of business that I wasn't exposed to at timing. After that, I did, I went to Bloomberg where I was the global chief revenue officer and it, that gave me an incredible global experience. And Mike Bloomberg is uh, one of the most uh, wonderful people to work with in the world. Uh, he is, as, as advertised, brilliant, empathetic, kind, uh, supportive, smart, focused in it, uh, he came to work every day. Um, he he was inspiring. I, I loved working for Mike Bloomberg. Um, and having the opportunity to travel the globe and to learn the global business world uh, was, was somewhat transformative to me. Um, however, the subject matter wasn't as exciting to me as everything else I've done before. And I came to the point in my life, as you were describing as people in their 50s, and I said, you know what, I'm, I, I'm going to I think I'm done. And my wife and I made the decision that I was going to leave the corporate world and, uh, and, and see what happens. Now, I was on one board at that point. I thought I was going to leave the board because I thought they, you know, they wouldn't want me if I wasn't in a corporate job. So it turns out they were happy to keep me and I was on it. And then I started investing in, and built a portfolio of smaller companies. So I started to, do, to experiment on my own. I had some successes. I had a few failures. I, um, I, you know, lost a little bit of money. I made more money. I, I, I was, I realized like, wow, I could do this 
and do this forever and be really happy. And I was in launching new products. I was in, I have a passion for ice cream. I got into ice cream. I have a passion for um, entertainment. I got into uh, a software company that does things for songwriters. And I did a whole lot of things that were all personally interesting. But the one thing I missed was being part of a team. And every day I would leave my house every morning and I would go to uh, either the Soho House or one of the companies I was I, I had an investment in or a company I was on the board of or something. I'd go somewhere, but I didn't feel like I was part of anywhere. Even though I had a piece of them all, it didn't make it feel like I was there. And I really realized I needed to be part of something. So I came home one day and I said to my wife, um, she said, how's it going? I said, I'd say like, um, I'm not sure this is really right for me. And she said, oh my, why? She said, you, you, you're actually, I was actually doing better then than I did my entire career. And she said, and I said, it's not that. It's not about success or anything like that. It's actually about being part of something. I really want to be part of something. And I said, but I don't want to just a job. I don't want to work for a company. I kind of want to do something that really means something to me. And there's very few people I actually would want to work for. And she said, well, who would you want to work for? Who's the number one person? And what would be the number one company? And it didn't even take me three seconds to say, I would want to work at Endeavor. And I want to work for Mark Shapiro. And she said, really? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, then call him. So I said, you know what? I will. So I called him. And he said, well, let's have lunch tomorrow. So I came to the city. Uh, I think the lunch was about seven minutes long. And uh, he said, he came, he sat down the table and he said, so what's up? And I said, I want to work for you. He said, okay, I have a couple of ideas. He said, um, let's, let's talk it through. And I came and he, you know, lunch ended very quickly. I came back to his office and, uh, and after some back and forth and conversation, the concept of Endeavor buying on location came up and he said, you know, would you want to, you know, work with us on the, on the potential of this acquisition? And I said, Sure, I would do anything. I'll do anything. I just would love to be part of your team. And uh, so I worked with the Endeavor team as part of the M&A team. And as it got more and more serious, they said, would you want to run it if we get it? And I said, 100%, because the vision I had alongside Ari and Mark's vision for on location was so clear to me. And it was such a big opportunity that I would have done anything but I couldn't believe this was the opportunity that they were going to actually bring to me because it felt like it was literally the culmination of my entire career. It was every single thing I've ever done, every single touch point, live events, creativity, customer focused, um, uh, sponsorships, uh, you know, um, reinvention, which is what I've done my entire career is reinvent, 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 repivot companies, um, communication, working seamlessly within a larger organization like Endeavor in bringing cross-market value, which is something that I tried very hard at timing to do, is not just be in a silo, to work with all my other sister publications, which ultimately is how I got to the top job because by being so collaboratively lateral, it made it natural for me to grow. And I never did it from an ambitious standpoint. I did it because I thought it was right. And, and the same thing here, every single thing from taking this job to everything we've been doing this job with the team here and then uh, and how we're, we're trying to work alongside Endeavor and now with IMG events under on, in the group, um, all of which feels so natural and it feels like a privilege. Um, I, I would, you know, I, I literally come to work every day 
the way I did in 1989, that day that I saw the first People logo. I can't believe this is what I get to do for a living. And I also can't believe that these are the people I get to do it with. The team here at On Location and at IMG Events is so phenomenal. Uh, these are entrepreneurs for the most part, or they're longtime corporate people at IMG. And there's an eclectic group of experience and expertise, and they're all over the world. Um, and I'm so, I learn every day from them. Uh, I, they're so generous with me because I walked in, what did I know? I mean, I knew some things, but I can't expect to know it the way, you know, I've, I've got someone, my team, like uh, two guys, Scott Jernigan and Brian Wilder, who were business partners in college and almost in high school, I think definitely in college. And then they built a business around the world of experiences and uh, in sports. And they've sold their business a couple of times and they've done well. And they're here as part of the executive leadership team working alongside me. And they're so generous in their in educating me and welcoming me. And I so appreciate them. Uh, John Lavalli, who's my CFO and partner, he has been in the business from the private equity side. He has been such an incredible partner. Um, I, I just feel blessed by that. And then and then I, I can go on and on. I mean, I've got so many great people. Um, and then we brought people on the way. We've got a CMO, Jamie Weston, who came from uh, the NFL and then Universal Music. And this is culminates her music and sports background and from a division one athlete all the way till today. Um, and, I, and, and then I flip to the IMG side. I've got equal generosity on that side too, with people who've been here for, for their whole careers. Robbie Henchman and Stephen Flintwood have been here her whole careers. And then add Dewan Wilson, the CMO over there, who's a brilliant consumer marketer. And then, of course, my favorite is that my longtime business partner who I started at Time Inc. with, and I, I got promoted with every time I got promoted, I got promoted with him, was David Geithner. And David Geithner is the COO here, and we're back together. And I love that because he and I have known each other before we had kids. I mean, we, we've been together for the whole time. Um, and uh, it's it just it just all feels right. Um, so uh, and and there's a wider group of people in the organization too. I don't mean to leave anyone out. It gets wider and wider, and and I get to learn from all of them. Um, and you know, two in particular, this guy named John Anthony, who founded Anthony Travel at a college, who is the leader in collegiate travel. We he's part of the company and uh, and is and is a brilliant educator. And in in helping me understand the business, and then one of my uh, you know greatest things is when we won the Olympic opportunity, which I, maybe we'll talk about. Um, I did it alongside a guy named Will Whiston, who was a business development person. And during the journey together, he has grown so fast, and he's so smart, and he's such a high potential. We actually have him overseeing the whole Olympic operation now. Um, and I can go on. I mean, I don't mean to give my whole company resume. I'm just saying. That's the joy I have. I get to work with those talented people uh, in an environment uh, that is so fun, doing work that everybody would love to do, which is live events at the most incredible events around the world, of which we do like over 2,300 of them. What, what, what a great story. And your passion is so real and so infectious. It, it's just exciting. And what it sounds like, Paul, is that spirit of reinvention that was really the hallmark of everything you did over those 24 some odd years at time inc 
as you reinvented those brands and developed new products and first to market in so many areas, what you also did is you figured out how to reinvent yourself. And not yep. everybody figures that out. So I had a conversation with someone yesterday who comes from the world of magazines and actually could be described as someone as you described it, at that point in the career that they just don't really know. And, you know, like, how do you, how do you make that pivot? And, they, and I've been asked many, many times, how did you make the pivot? I said, I actually don't remember making a pivot. What I did, what I've always been is just me. And I've been reinventing me for my whole life. Um, if the people, I'm about to go to my 40th high school reunion in a couple of weeks. The day I graduated high school, if you asked anyone who hasn't spoken to me since that day, they would think I was going to, that they would think I'm a dentist right now because I grew up only wanting to be a dentist. And I went to, to, uh, to as I graduated high school, I got into a six-year program to be a dentist at high school. So anybody who stopped me then, that's what I would have been. One year of that, I was like, that's not for me. And I always had this entrepreneurial bent. I loved entertainment. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I took a flyer and I went out to Indiana, um, to Indiana University, never visited it, never stepped foot in the state of Indiana before, but I just felt like that would be a good place to go. I don't know why. I, I, and I just packed up my car and I went, and that's where I went. And uh, when I got there, I said to myself, I'm not going to be that dentist anymore. I'm going to be this, I want to dive into the world of entertainment. Like, how do I do that? And I completely reinvented my whole perspective then. That taught me a lot about like, you, you have permission to do what you want to do and you have the, and the passion to do. The only one who makes those definitions is really you. It's just, you just have to be able to um, pursue it and articulate it. It doesn't mean it's easy. I, I've been stopped many times. I will tell you that like, when I, you know, when I pivoted into radio, Westwood One, people said, oh, interesting pivot. I would tell you that the radio community was not welcoming at first. They looked at me and they said, you're not from this industry. What do you know? How can you help us? Whatever. And I, and my, but I was always honest and said, I don't know. I'm not here to teach you radio. I'm here to help us become a more profitable and a better company. And so let's do it together. I just feel like I'm a listener and I, 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 I'm creative and I'm a driver and I'm a salesperson and, 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 and I can help in ways that may not be literally because I come from the industry. Every time I've gotten a new job, even in the days of Time Inc., I would go like people to Entertainment Weekly. The Entertainment Weekly staff said, you're a people guy, what can you do here? Or when I went to, uh, when I took over any of the other roles, I did a Time Inc. Every time uh, when I, I got in style underneath me, people were like, what do you know about fashion? You know, how are you going to do that? And, and that's what I kept hearing all the time career. It's okay. I'm, it's never thrown me. And you know what? I don't, I don't, I'm not always successful. I've failed many times. I'm okay with that. And actually, if I do fail, that's on me and that's okay. I'm okay with, I, I'm, I, it doesn't throw me. What The only thing that ever throws me is if I'm not trying. And, that, and there are examples in my career where I have not tried. And, when, and those are the areas that I fall on the hardest and it's the earliest part of my career. And I had one pivotal situation where I was to do a presentation for Warner Lambert when I was working at an ad agency and I kind of just threw it together in the last minute, didn't put a lot of thought into it. And you know what the client? said that was the worst presentation I ever saw. And I got a lot of trouble for it. And I was like, oh, 
okay, you actually have to do put in an effort. It's not so simple. And, and, but those are the lessons you learn hopefully early. And even if you learn it late, it it's important to just learn and grow. Um, I don't know what life is going to bring. I really don't. And having lost a child, I can tell you, you just really never know. But what I do know is you have to do what you're really passionate about. And you just, and you can't know your path until it's in your rearview mirror. I've given a lot of speeches in universities, fortunately, and they, I get the questions all the time of, how can I, what advice would you give me? And I would say, look, if you want to do my job, you can't follow my path because that, that's a one and done. There's no one who can do that. Um, and your path is a one and done too. I mean, Matt, you're same as you. I mean, your path is a one and done. No one's going to have your path. What I hope to have is that everyone has that, that, that passion. Someone who inspires me uh, are my kids, all three of them. They're very inspiring to me. Um, uh, my youngest is a musician, a working musician. He's 23 years old, self-supported working musician. It's not easy. I love it. He's so much fun. His music is fantastic. And uh, he's, he, he's great, but it's really hard. He's an entrepreneur, right? He's an independent contractor for the most part. And I watch it and it's like, it's, that's a hard role. My middle one works for a big company. He's an engineer, really doing well. Um, very different paths when you think about the two of them. But the fact that they're doing what they're really passionate about, and that's what really works. And my oldest one's in marketing, and uh, she's in business school right now, and she starts her her next part of her career in the, after she graduates in the spring, and she's going to start in consulting. And I, um, and she has a whole different path. All three of them inspire me because the one thing that unites them all is that they're doing what they love, and that's the key lesson. You can't fit a the pivot. There is no real pivot. What it is 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 a constant pursuit of passion. That's the, the pivot. And if you're passionate and you keep pushing into it from with an honest emotional passion, that's what works. Um, if you force it, it never works. So if anyone tries to pivot, that's not going to work. We, um, following your passion works. I, I, like I said, I made one call for a job and that was here and working for Mark. If he said no and Endeavor said no, I don't know. Maybe I would have thought about a second one. I'm just glad I didn't have to. But it, but. If there was a second one, I think it would also be similarly passion-based, probably different. Maybe it would have been ice cream after all. Um, but but that's, you know, that that that's the best advice I've ever gotten. And that's kind of where I live. Great, great stuff, Paul. So uh, I want to get into uh, On Location, but you mentioned a name before, and uh, one of the things I love to do is when one of the great names comes up is to make sure that we talk about him or her. In this case, it's Ann Moore. Uh, uh, Anne, absolute giant in the business. Talk about her as one of the greatest of great minds who you got a chance to learn from and work pretty closely with for a number of years. Yeah, Anne is a great mind. A hundred percent a great mind. Um, Ann is uh, Anne is the reason why Time Inc. was thriving for a, a very strong period of time. Don Logan, who was the CEO before her, really uh, was one of the world's best CEOs of all time. Uh, really level one CEO, uh, smart, selfless, um, 
are driving, but very, very kind and uh, and and brilliant, 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 brilliant. Um, he really he was perfect for the company at that time. Anne equally is brilliant. The difference between Don and Anne was Don made the company that existed great, and he did it a lot through M and A, um, smart business decisions, investing where it, it worked, a lot of classic things, brilliantly executed. Anne was an innovator. She invented more titles, more ideas, uh, and she inspired innovation. And that's what I really uh, gleaned from her. She uh, would look at any situation in the world and figure out how to, how to lean into it from a passion point and how to turn it into money. Everything from the royal family, which the uh, People magazine worked you know, across for many years. I mean, Anne was hosted Princess Diana when she came to the United States as an example of what she did. She invented Real Simple. She invented InStyle. She invented uh, many titles along the way. InStyle was because of her passion of how she wanted to see uh, fashion on celebrities from head to toe. Real Simple because she was, uh, she was personally uh, feeling like she needed more organization in her life. That's where Real Simple came from. Um, uh, Sports Illustrated for kids. Uh, Sports Illustrated for women, sorry, because of her passion for women and Sports Illustrated for kids because of her son, Brandon, who, um, who she wanted him to read magazines. I mean, she would, every, every launch under Anne had something around her passion and personal interest. And Anne used to say to me, you know how do you know if it works in this creative is if you would like it. Because if you like it, there are other people who will like it too. But if you think someone's going to like it, it may not work because you haven't identified someone who does like it. And that taught me a lot about how we have to think about it. It's a good segue to on location because on location is that. On location, when we uh, bought it, was a very successful company run by impressive, impressive entrepreneurs who really defined an industry. And they, it, there was nothing wrong with on location. It's a great company. Um, but what we, what we wanted to do and what I thought was really important was to start packaging and selling kind of what I did in my previous life at Timing Quest One and Bloomberg, which was go to the world's largest events in the most incredible way with access, um, unique experiences, uh, and, and things that nobody else had access to do. For example, if you can go to the Grammys, I can give you a ticket to the Grammys and you'd see a show. But if you went to the Grammys with me when I was the chairman of Music Cares, that would have been an unbelievably different experience. Uh, the access, the behind the scenes, uh, the, the special performances, the meet and greets, all the things that you wouldn't get to do unless you were doing in that space, that, that was what was unique. That's the spirit of on location. Because when I was doing it then, we'd invite advertisers to do it with us. And we would have advertisers be delighted and hopefully spend more advertising with us. That was sort of the model. What I, when I would do it, um, we would always invite advertisers uh, on an ad hoc basis. I have tickets to the NCAA Final Four on Saturday. Uh, on Saturday, come come join me. I call you on a Wednesday. Can you come, Matt? Join me. Let's go. Right. One year, I said, "Well, it's silly because when I added up all the people we were entertaining, we entertained a lot of people multiple times, and." I think we're, we don't get the, the long-term effects of anticipation around it. So I reinvented it by sending a Christmas gift or a holiday gift 
out every year. That was a beautiful box that had all of the different events that we do in a year uh, in it. And we said to them, pick the one, pick the top three you'd want to go to, rank them. And, and we're going to give you your gift is to come to, with us to one of those events. And we and we put in there everything from like the Oscars, the, the Olympics, the Super Bowl, whatever, all these different things. And um, and we found people to be like lit up from Christmas. They would give it to their significant others for the holidays as, as a gift because they couldn't believe like they got to do this and pick it way in advance. That started anticipation. And then during the year, we would capitalize on that by every sales call say, we can't wait to see you at the uh, at the Super Bowl this year, you know, but meanwhile, here's the idea we want to pitch you. And it was just like a very concerted effort. And then when after they came home, we would send them photos from the event or signed memorabilia or something that would make them that we'd call a desk merch, something that they could put on the desk to show other people what they did. So from the moment they picked it to the moment they came home, we called that at the time, you know, purchased. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, for, uh, invite to brag was what we did. Well, on occasion, we I twisted it and um, I said, same thing. I want to do the same thing I did then, do it here, but I want to call it purchase to memory, which is for the moment you decide you're going to go and you purchase an experience from us. And I'll outline like what an experience in, entails to the moment you go home, there's that whole journey that goes on. That's the experience. It's not the ticket to the event. If it's just the ticket to the event, Go on like StubHub and buy it. But if you want an experience, come with on location. For example, this Saturday, I don't know when this airs, but this Saturday in the middle, uh, in the middle of November, um, UFC is going to be doing an event, 261 in uh, Madison Square Garden. And, they, and we sell experiences to it. So I got people who are going to be sitting at the promoter's table. I got people who are going to be walking through the tunnel with the fighters. I got people who are going to be in the octagon to take photos, going to the press conference, the weigh-ins, working out with trainers, sitting, uh, going to hospitality, sitting in the green room, doing unbelievable things that you just can't get to do unless you're in, you work at the UFC or you're a sponsor, which very few people are, or you buy it through on location. Now we do that with over 150 different rights holders. We do it with the NFL around the, the, the biggest games the NCAA, not just the Final Four, but every NCAA championship. We do it around all the golf events, the Ryder Cup, US Open. Um, we have Grand Slam opportunities in tennis. Uh, we do it in concert tours. Um, we do hundreds of concert tours a year, music festivals. We do it in Fashion Week, at, um, which is an IMG event. We do, uh, we do, we do it across every, every single thing you can imagine. And we got over uh, a couple of years ago, we were awarded the first ever global hospitality partner to the, uh, to the Olympics for the next three Olympic games. And so for Paris 24, never done before, all 206 territories, um, all participating friends and family and, and, and sponsors and stakeholders, we are going to be doing the hospitality and ticketing and experiences around it. It's a huge effort, never been done. Uh, it's an industry definer, and it's it's really built on the spirit of what we're doing in the pivot with on location. So again, when you pivot, it doesn't mean you're pivoting from failure. You actually pivot from success. On location was incredibly successful. It's an it's an impressive brand, but what it is now 
is a, a different product than it ever was before. And as a result, the peop, the millions of people that we work with every year to, to enjoy an experience um, get to do something they've never done. So like for the upcoming Super Bowl, we're going to have people on the field for the celebration. They're going to see Sheryl Crow perform either uh, acoustic on the most intimate level or on a stage in the, in the larger tailgates. Um, they're going to have, you know, we'll have uh, NFL uh, legends and Hall of Famers around to meet and greet. We're going to have celebrity chefs uh, cooking. They're, they're going to have unique excursions and uh, leading up to the game, parties. We have a hospitality house where when the, the couple of days before the game, they can go and hang out, get merchandise, get free premiums. All sorts of experiences that would look like what advertisers enjoyed in our industry for many years. They may not even do that stuff anymore, but in the past they did. But you'll be able to do it because now uh, access is access. Uh, what what great stuff and uh, 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 just an absolutely you know joyous story in so many ways. So I guess twenty four Paris. You also have L A in twenty eight. So we have Paris twenty four, Milan Cortina in twenty six, which is the Winter Olympics, and then L A in twenty eight. Um, Paris is uh, coming up soon, yeah. and that's that's huge. I mean, you, you know, we've got thousands of products that are going to, that have been created for the uh, Paris games. And we uh, have, we're going on sale to general consumers in the coming week, coming weeks. And um, right now we are, we've been working with all the stakeholders and partners and, and sponsors to, uh, to get them what they need. Um, but come summer of 24, the industry and the world is going to see a level of hospitality that they've never seen before. Great stuff. So talk about being part of a bigger family, part of the Endeavor family. Very mm -hmm. interesting company in terms of the assets that they've built, very different from the approach that uh, now the combined CAA, ICM has taken, uh, UTA. Endeavor sort of stands on its own piece of land in terms of approach and growing the business. Talk about that experience, being part of something with Endeavor and working with Mark and Ari. So I've already spoke about what it's like to work for Mark, and I would say the same for Ari. Um, you couldn't ask for better leadership than Mark and Ari, especially in the world that that the entire enterprise of Endeavor lives in. I mean, Ari is uh, is a legendary agent and a celebrity into himself and very, very you know accomplished and very, very much earned in his accomplishments. He's impressive, brilliant, and uh, inspiring on every single level. And Mark is incredibly impressive as well. I mean, Mark is uh, is one of the core reasons why ESPN is as, as success that it is today. And his his uh, history and expertise and resume is unparalleled. Uh, and, and if you spend any time with either of them, you can see the level of energy and brilliance, uh, business acumen, leadership, and empathy that is pretty impressive. Uh, so they set the tone. The whole company follows it. Now we are uh, a diverse company. We have everything from an agency to um, a marketing services company, representation, um, events, media, uh, you name it. I mean, it's, it's a wide range of assets that Endeavor has to offer. Um, and that's why a company like On Location and IMG Events thrives in this organization because if we don't stand alone. Now we are standalone, meaning we can certainly, we have certainly offerings and products and we work with rights holders and we are, we are a rights holder with through IMG. 
Um, like we over, we have the a partnership with the Miami Open. We own the Madrid Open. We, you know, we have uh, Winter Wonderland in, in London, which I think you've been to, and um, uh, Hall de Lumiere, which opened in Southern Manhattan a couple of months ago. We've got Freeze Art Fair. I mean, we're a diverse event ownership company that I have the privilege of of working with directly um, on my IMG event side. But we also work very much in partnership with all of Endeavor. And Endeavor is a very generous company internally where we work and try to support each other in terms of how do we better serve our customers. And there are many examples that we work on together to do that. Um, we, uh, but, but that's where an Endeavor is uniquely positioned because we, we, do, we, we are individual brands and individual product lines, but we work seamlessly well together. Um, it's also nice that my peers in Endeavor are all equally as in, you know, they're innovative, they're generous, they're smart, they're kind. Um, and they're, it's a pleasure to work here because you work with partners that are equally as supportive and want to see you succeed as much as their division succeed. And that level of generosity, you know, translates pretty well for the benefit of all customers. Well, I, I love the amount of territory we covered and the consistency of everything across the board, Paul, you know, the, the common themes of passion and drive and empathy and learning and reinvention that have been part of who you are and are still evolving into, because uh, we're a little older, but we're not done yet, Paul. Uh, and I, yeah. I, I, I absolutely love it. And it's been a joy to get a chance to spend uh, this time with you and hear the whole Paul Kane story. It's a great, great story. Wow. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the time. I, I love the podcast and I really appreciate you very much. And I appreciate you giving me today to, do, to have that conversation. As a marketer, you know it's crucial to spend your budget wisely. Mountain's self-serve connected TV marketing software helps you do that with data-backed insights that take the guesswork out of measuring your ad's impact. With Mountain, you can track your connected TV ad performance in real time and see how it compares to your other channels with leading web analytics integrations. You can even see who's visiting your website or making a purchase after watching an ad, regardless of what household device they use. Visit Mountain.com to learn more.